0: Wow. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Dazzle us. Great. Uh, I already have performance anxiety. Here we go. Um, that's Kiki McGrath. She's like a professional announcement person. She crushes it. And I'm always like on the edge of my seat cause I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. And so I, which I love, I'm like, this is great. So um, cause you know, I'm usually the one who is kind of leading that in our church of like, who knows what's going to happen when I'm up here. So to have someone else join me in that is, you know, some solidarity. Thank you, Kiki. Um, so glad you're with us this morning. Welcome. This is the last Sunday of this year. Don't believe that. Yeah. Donnie's ready to get out of 2021. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, but man, what, what a beautiful time it's been. We have been doing this Advent series and today's going to be the last in our Advent series. It's kind of like a bonus. Sunday for our Advent, right? And we've been talking about basically why the incarnation, right? Why did Why did God become man? Why, why did God intend on becoming man and kind of stepping into our plight? Why did that take place? Now, if you've been tracking with us in you know, a little summary, right, we started in the Garden of Eden because the, the title of our sermon series is Pleased to Dwell, right? That, that from John 1, 4, That's from Colossians 119, but then in John 1.14, right, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And so we looked at the, the history of God kind of dwelling with his people. So we had Eden, right, where, where you have Adam and Eve and, and God hanging out in the garden. Uh, but then we, we see that that gets lost, right, and we see that in Genesis 3. Then we see the, the tabernacle where God shows up and he has this, this tent that he meets with God's people in a special way, right? He puts his presence there in a special way. It's this, it's this odd, quirky thing that there's this, this literal tent that they're taking with them as they're wandering through the wilderness. And he's meeting with his people there, showing this picture of, huh, God is everywhere, but then there are some places where he chooses to dwell specially, Right? So we see that really pronounced in the tabernacle. Well, the tabernacle is a tent, but that lasts 400 years. Then Solomon, he sees, you know, David, saw, his father saw it first, and then Solomon, they realize there's this, why are the, the kings living in these stone houses? And yet God is in, uh, uh, you know, something from Rugged Outfitters or whatever it's called, you know, like a, there's a tent. We need, to, we need to fix this. So they build, Solomon builds the temple and they think that's what this stone is here for. This isn't always like this. Um, they think that they have found the permanence that they're looking for, right? They think, man, this is it. This is the thing. But then we see it's not the thing. And actually, even at the, the benediction, right, the, the blessing of the temple, God even says, look, if you don't, if you don't walk with me, this isn't, this isn't going to work out. And so the temple is destroyed in 586. They, they kind of rebuild it, right? They rebuild it. It's not quite to the same glory. And then it kind of is torn down again in the A.D. 70. And then last night, if you were here, we, we went to 1 Corinthians 15, this weird resurrection passage. We went there for Christmas. And that's why there's a banana up here. Some of you are like, hey, Brett, uh, <laughs> your illustration, it, you, you, why is there a banana there? So this is a picture of perishing. Because I, I don't know about you, but like when I think about things going bad, avocados and bananas. Although it's much more obvious with the banana, right? The avocado, you're like, oh, I have an avocado left. I'm going to go eat it. And then you cut it open. You're like, no, I didn't get to it in time. It's like $4 for that one piece of fruit. Um, I think it's technically a fruit. My wife gets technical. We were playing scategories or something. and She's like, fruit. And I said, squash or something. She's like, technically, that's a, that's a fruit. It's not a vegetable. You know, It was vegetables. And I was like, no, that's fruit. Anyway, sorry. Did I mention that we can get off track sometimes? Right, but we were talking about perishing versus not perishing, right? That Jesus basically comes and becomes flesh and blood. First Corinthians 15 says, "Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus comes and changes that, it says, that the, the perishable now becomes imperishable. That which is mortal now becomes immortal. And so we had this little picture of what we get in the Gospel of Christ. So today, We are going to be in Revelation 21. So flip with me in your Bibles to Revelation 21. Again, we are talking about God dwelling with us. God dwelling with us, not only him dwelling with us, but him being pleased to do so. He is delighted to be with his people. He is delighted to be amongst his creation. And he has been working all time to to bring about what we are about to read. So let me pray for us. What we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the end of the story and then we're gonna come back to present day to figure out okay, we have the back story, we're gonna have the future story, and then how does that affect our present? So let me pray for us. Uh, If you're like me, I've got a little bit of like a carb hangover. You know, carb and sugar is still coursing through my veins, which makes me kind of like, and then just, you know, just the. So so we need prayer, right? We need God to meet with us and right we we also need to be a kind of awakened i think we 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 often wrestle when we look ahead of letting that actually land on us in a way that causes us to do different now so much of my life when i when i think about future it's like almost like wishful thinking but if your year's been like mine I, I, we're in a strange season as a church i've lost probably 5 people that i love in the last 2 months which is really unusual for me. Numerous church members, former church members, families of church members, and and so I'm thinking anew right, about what it is we've been invited into in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, and then let's dive into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we we come as a people tired and often distracted. Lord, would you make our time sweet, uh, not because we felt good, but because we heard from you. Um, because we saw you. Uh, you taught us through your word. Would you feed your sheep this morning, Lord, through your word as we dive into Revelation, as we look at the end of things and the beautiful future we have ahead in Christ Jesus. Lord, affect us. Change us this morning, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so again, we're going we're gonna to be following. The, the series been kind of cool. We didn't really intend it to be this way, but we're going to follow the same kind of structure that we followed each week. And you kind of see that God built this kind of template to, to help us understand how it is he operates and how it is he's working. And he's just been unfolding this throughout time. This is part of the the grace of things like tabernacles and temples is it actually gets our unimaginative uh, mortal minds that have a hard time understanding beyond what we can see. He gives us some things to see, right? Like communion, where we can Taste it and we can drink it in and we can eat it, right? It helps us understand, you know, being nourished by God. So he gives us things like that. So um, he has done this kind of pattern and we kind of have been following this pattern. So let's look at Revelation 21. Let me read some for us. We're going to read kind of the beginning and the end of 21, and then we'll get a little bit into 22, and then we'll kind of come unpack and see kind of our, our points this morning. So it's Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, hear this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm going to read that again. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, for their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We'll pause there. Now, I'm gonna make a little comment about that last phrase. We come to these passages, right? And we're reading them. You can feel it. I can feel it. We're feeling the ramp up of, man, it's all been done away with. And and when we read these passages again, we always find something a little bit different than what we expect, right? For those of us that might wanna tend over to kind of universalistic kind of thinking, he kind of always drops in a reminder of, hey, remember. This is for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have believed upon the gospel. And it gets uncomfortable because I'm like, we're jiving with like new heavens, new earth, all that bad stuff. It's all gone. And then you get to the end of the passage, like, oh, do we have to read that part? Can we just stop at verse 7? We get to verse 8. It's like, no, no. Like, he is saying this, this isn't universalism. It is through Christ Jesus. It's his kingdom. Behold the one who sits on the throne. These are people who come in submission to a king. And it's that king and that power and that person that we have hope, right? And certainty. So uh, so what we see is we have kind of these four points that we've been tracking with. The first point is that he is present, right? That he is present. God delights to be present with his creation. Right? God, God didn't create. God is not the, the divine clockmaker who winds it up and sends it out and says, good luck, fellas. He's not the deist picture of Thomas Jefferson. He is a, he is a creator that, that loves being involved in his creation. And so he delights to be present. And here we see, right? Even the language here, I want you to take note. He loves to be present. He dwells with his people. And so it's interesting. We use language like we're going to get back to Eden. You know, there's no going back. You you know, this, this text says he's going to make all things new. Think about that. There's not some garden that we had that we're going to go back to. There's some new creation that far exceeds what we're going to ever be able to wrap our brains around in this life. And frankly, I think it's going to far exceed whatever we can wrap our brains around even in the next life right? As we are with Jesus, we're not fully going to be able to understand that. We'll be exploring that for all eternity. So hear this, the dwelling place of God will be with man. Look what it says in verse three and four, 21. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And, and he wants to be clear, right? Because this, this dwelling with man has been something he's been doing throughout history, right? He's He's been doing that. So that shouldn't be like, like whoa, what? No, we've we've heard it. We've been tracking that through our time together, but look at specific. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And then he, he clarifies that he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And look at what it says. He, he, he emphasized very specifically, God himself will be with them and, uh, and be their God, right? He will be with them, them as their God. So the picture is he will be in their midst, I don't know about you, but there's there's this ache that's in us as believers, that we believe upon Christ, we preach about Christ, we we, we have songs about Christ, we have stickers about Christ, we have have shirts, we have everything we can get, We, we have all this stuff about Jesus and yet he even says all throughout the New Testament, right now you don't see him, right? Because he's not physically right before us. There's going to come a day where he will literally be in front of us and we'll be able to put our hands upon him. And we'll be able to hold him and behold him and he will be in our midst. There will be a new and powerful present way that he will be with us that will be different from everything we've experienced. Not fully different, but definitely different than what we've had. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing, right? We see these prayers. We will see it in John. We're gonna pick up back in our John series. And there's all this language as John continues to unfold, right? Where he prays, I think, the high priestly prayer in John 17, where he goes, man, for those people who, who, who they, don't, they don't even get to see Jesus, they're just gonna hear about him, right? They're gonna behold him in other people. They're gonna believe without seeing and God bless them, God help them, right? You believe and yet you have not seen. And John says in 1 John, we have seen and we have touched and we have heard. And now we tell to you what we have personally seen, believe upon Christ. And yet there's coming a day where that activity that you've had to do your whole life, right, where we have these children's Bibles and these pictures and all that will be will be gone. And the real Jesus will be before us. Man. So he is present with his people. Second, He let's look at verse 22. We've got to read 22 to the rest of the chapter to get the next part. So, 22, I'm going to pick up. This is Revelation 21, starting in verse 22. And look what it says And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but, and look at what it says, we we were just talking about that same thing, look at verse 27, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. He does the same thing again. He qualifies. It's those who believe upon Christ and are written in the Lamb's book. That is the identifying uh, characteristic. That is the important reality is that we are those who obey the gospel is the way that Paul puts it. Obedience to the gospel. That we hear it, we believe it, we submit to it, gospel allegiance. But look what it says. So we talked about the four points, right? Present, second point is central. Present, central is the second one. Now we talked about The camp, right, where you think about the tabernacle. We had that graphic. I don't know if they still have it up on the PowerPoint somewhere. That graphic where you have the tent in the middle, right, from REI. I got the tent, the, the tabernacle there, and all of the armies, right, all of the tribes are all stationed around it in the very middle of the camp. Is it up there? Oh, there it is, yeah, right? You have this picture, the centrality. Then with the temple, we get the temple, you have the temple mount everywhere you go in Jerusalem, you cannot escape the imminency and kind of the centrality of, well, what's this city about? Well, whatever is in that glorious building on the hill, that's what these people are about. You literally grow up in the shadow of the temple when you live in Jerusalem, the centrality of of the worship of God. So we've been talking about centrality, but no longer is it just a camp. No longer is it just a city. The cosmos itself does away with the stars that give it centrality and they they, they change the literal makeup of the universe. The thing we orient around is the Lord God, the Lamb, right? The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is how it's described. There's no need of, of sun or moon anymore. Right, so our whole life, right, we, we have, the little, have the little charts where you have like the, the, the sun's in the middle and, you know, we're the third rock from the sun, right? We got all these songs about it and there's shows and all kinds of stuff. Well, whatever's happening is we don't need that anymore. We have God himself. So you talk about centrality, right? We even said, what, what does the earth revolve around you? Right, we have these sayings in our culture, right? Oh, we're just going to, you know, the sun. We, we know it. We see it, right? We're, we're orbiting the sun. But now we have the centrality of the lamb himself. The planets, the cosmos, the galaxy, those words won't be big enough to contain the centrality of Jesus Christ reigning forever. Our imaginations need to start to run wild about how vast is the centrality of Christ. We won't need the sun anymore. His gravity, his light, his heat all that he offers and brings Jesus alone will be our source. We won't have to go, "Oh yeah, we photosynthesis." No, no. The lamb, we get photosynthesis from Jesus. We intake all those nutrients from from the lamb. Think about that. That is a fun thing. Let's let's talk about that in some small groups. How does photosynthesis work if the source of light is the gospel? Right? I could see that being a question. Small group leaders, you're welcome. Okay. Present, central, third, right? This is, these are the same four points we've been tracking. You been, does anyone know what the third point is if you've been tracking? Hopefully you have your notes. Revealed, right? Revealed. Last night when I read 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Listen, church, it's okay that you feel the strain sometimes of, of, Of walking and believing and feeling the tension of I want to be able to walk up to Jesus like I walk up to Ty Hopkins. Ty Hopkins is the one up here with crazy hair. Right? I want to be able to walk up to to Jesus and just go. And I do this with Ty. I'll call him like Ty, I just need you to tell me some stuff. Tell me true things. Because like I just, it's I can't believe it right now. Right? I just I'm not doing well. And he looks at me, he grabs me with those monstrous hands. Ty's a big dude. He grabs his big hands. Jesus probably like that. Big hands. He goes, Brett. Jesus, he has awesome eyes too. Yeah, I'm really puffing up Ty. He's got these like, if you see him, yeah, he's he's a, hang in there. Don't be dumb. You know, whatever he tells me. Um, and so the way that we do that with our friends, right, which, which is a grace to us, that we have actual embodied people who, who are filled with God's spirit, which we didn't even get to get into all that. We'll, we'll kind of unpack that in John. Uh, this whole idea that the spirit of God dwells specifically in us. We're going kind of to the end of the story. We'll come back at the end to talk about this. But 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 what happens is, is there's a revelation that's happening where we will see him in new ways with new clarity. Right? More of the mystery will be unpacked. More of the mystery will become clear. So he is present. He is central. He's revealed. There's this new revelation that's happening. Anyone who's been married for a long time, right? You 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 know your spouse you get to know your spouse and then i think once you've been married for a long time you realize wow i really don't know anything about them <laughs> right you just, you're, you're like what how what are you doing why would any person do the thing that you're doing right now right and so that's kind of what it's going to be like with jesus right that we get to know him and we see him and we understand him but now we get this new revelation where it's he's clearer and man what what beauty there is there actually if you go to 2 Corinthians, right? There's this whole language about the veil, right? Where things are veiled. This is actually, excuse me, that, that, there is a section in 2 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter. Listen to this. You, you don't have to flip there. Just listen. This is 1 this Corinthians 13, starting in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, right? That's what we do now. It's true. Things we talk about, they're true. What we read from Revelation 21 is true, but there's more. This This is just the stuff we can see. So much good ahead. I'll continue. Verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Man, think about this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. This is talking about the end of days, when we are with him. And then verse 12 says this, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There's all of these, these whispers all throughout the New Testament about what is ahead for us. We see the city. We see Jerusalem. We see that it comes, but, but we don't see it fully, and one day we will. It'll be revealed anew, and when we say the word glory, whatever pictures you have in your mind now, man, there's more to come, where you're, you're going to go, oh, man, I didn't even know what glory was until we saw the light of the Lamb, Right? He's present, he's central, he's revealed, and most wonderfully, I think, the last one we did, transience, right? We're talking about the tabernacle. He's permanent, right? We saw the language in here. In verse 5, go back to Revelation 21, right? Right? this language of the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He, he is the start of all things. He is the end of all things. All things, the point of that phrase, all things are encapsulated within who God is. He is the our origin and he is the goal. Any way you want to spin this metaphor, go for it, right? All things are encapsulated in who God is. We talked about scale. I don't think we can talk enough about scale because we have a real hard time wrapping our hearts and brains around what God is capable of doing. So all that you understand to be true as vast as that is is all contained within who God is. Did you hear that? Like like all of that is within who he is. So he is he's the beginning and the end. There, there's nothing that is that isn't within him. So it's not like he's just like some sort of being that kind of floats around in the No, no, he is the beginning, and he is the end. And so he is the most permanent of all things. This is, this is part of the wonder of the gospel is that when we are given Christ, we are not given some sort of small, partial, segmented thing. We are given the mystery of all the ages given to us so that we can comprehend the vastness of who God is and what he has offered us in Christ, right? I quote it all the time because I just, I can't help myself. Romans 8, right? There's neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nor anything else in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because he is the alpha and the omega. That listen, we got 2022 coming up this year, right? And we thought, man, 2021 surely has got to be better than 2020. For some of us, it wasn't. It was a hard year. It does not matter what comes. Christ crucified, buried, resurrected. The perishable has been made imperishable in Christ Jesus. And so we, we come into this year as a people who mount up our hope because we know that there is a king who is seated on the throne who will be the epicenter of all of existence and we will behold him. And so we don't hold back, we, we, we don't fear, we come in with hope and with boldness knowing that Jesus Christ lives and reigns. And not only does he do that, he invites us to be a part of his kingdom. We have a king who's constantly Working and drawing and resurrecting and saving, he is constantly at work. So, this is our future for us. Listen, th- th- this isn't this isn't some sort of idea. This isn't like his his strategic plan of like, hey, this is what I want to do. That- that's not what he's doing. Like we all work in different organizations, right? Where you sit down and you go, okay, wouldn't it be great in five years, we're our company's going to take over the world. We're gonna we're just going to do everything. We're going to make iPhones and Apple products and. All this, we're going to do, we're Steve Jobs. We're going to just take over, right? Those are all plans. Those are ideas. They're theories. They're things that would be nice to do. This is not just some idea. This is a promise and a certainty and a sure thing that's coming. We know how this ends and it ends with Christ Jesus. We get caught up in thinking like, well, maybe I want to be, maybe be nice. No, we know how the story goes. And so we are actually called because of this to live a different way. This is what Peter and Paul constantly are harking on. Saying, guys, you realize, you know what's happened? Like we have a king who's been raised from the dead. You know what this means? First Peter, right? That passage, again, I've got a few passages. that are just my go-tos. I love them, right? We have this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance in, 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 in uh, chapter one. But then what does he do with that? Well, I'll tell you what he does with it. He starts his letter that way. Peter, Paul does this in Corinthians with with the resurrection. And what does it do? When when we see the, the certainty of what is ahead, he doesn't say, hey guys, go out and just try and be positive. Think positive. No, he says, listen, hardships will come. Death may come. Some of you are going to fall asleep. It's going to happen. But what are we to do? And and what he does in in Corinthians and in Peter is he basically says, "Look, don't don't be moved. Be immovable. Be steadfast." This is First Peter one twenty two. And listen to the line. again, it's it's every time we read, it's like these other unexpected little nuggets that come through. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, right? So he's characterizing faith in Jesus in the gospel as obedience to the truth. For a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God, and then he quotes Isaiah, right? We just, we preached Isaiah last year. He quotes Isaiah, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. And the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, all slander, like newborn infants long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. Here's here's my point. The summary of all of this the summary of the charge of this church is because of the certainty of the hope that we have in the work of Jesus. We, we don't go out and just kind of live in the clouds, meaning we just kind of go and flit our way and just try and have nice, happy thoughts. We go and we die and we serve and we love and we give ourselves away in a steadfast manner because all of our future has been secured in Christ Jesus, which means we are now free. We are free to love and to lay down. And there's nothing that's going to stop us from that. You can be mean to me. This is my hope, by the way. You can be mean to me, and I'm going to love anyway. You can slander me, and I'm going to love anyway. Because I have an imperishable hope, an imperishable life in Christ Jesus. And so the the charge we've been given is that we would go and that we would love like Jesus loved, that we would lay our lives down. So this year, right? May we be a people, right, who love the people of the New River Valley and see them transformed by the gospel. Notice the language of that. We're loving them because that's what we're charged to do, but we don't transform them. We love the people of the New River Valley, and some of them won't be transformed. You're going to love them, and you're going to serve them, and they may hate you and slander you and stone you, whatever they're going to do. God is the one. We watch them get transformed by Jesus. And so we are a people who, with steadfastness, we go and we live and we love and we serve because of the certainty of what's ahead. God is pleased to dwell. He's pleased to dwell in us. And, and I would encourage you to come to the John series because we're going to see how it is that this living water, right from John 7, that this living water that bubbles out of us because of the spirit of God in us, how that kind of plays out. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to worship it. Hey, last Sunday of the year. So I'd love for you guys to go home today and this week and really kind of ramp up your all right, another year that's passed, what does God want to do in your homes, and your workplaces? What's he want to do through you and in you this coming year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have given us the end, right? That, that you are the beginning and you are the end. We know that you are, are, are the one that all existence is within. You are the Alpha and the Omega. God, would would our day-to-day uh, conversations, our, our day-to-day um, imaginations, our day-to-day contemplations, would all of those be framed and shaped and driven by the reality of who you are and what you are doing? Lord, would you meet with us, right? Teach us what it means to... to to have Emmanuel, that you are with us to the end of the age. Would you walk with us, Lord, as we long to see you? We long to be before you. There comes a day where we we won't have to imagine what you look like. We won't have to think about what we look like. We just look at you. Lord, would, would you give us endurance so that we can see that day? And we need you. We need you to be our driver. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.